Said on Sunday, a podcast by Kellyville Anglican where we talk about what was said on Sunday or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Well, welcome to our episode today. Uh, my name is James and I am hosting the podcast for us today. And with us, we have Dave. He's back. I am back. Great to be back in Kellyville, the centre of the world. It's good, mate. Mm. It's a good place to be. And Nathan? Good to be back again. Where's Beck? Beck is sick, unfortunately, so she'd love to be here with us, but you have my voice driving uh, the show today. And our last person with us t- this today is Pete. Hey, how are you? Thanks uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you, mate. Now, Pete, um, you actually opened up God's Word for us on Sunday. Uh, but before we jump to that, for those that might have missed Sunday and are going, who's this Pete dude? Do you want to tell us a bit about who you are, um, what you do, and then we'll tackle a few of the questions that have come in? Sure. I, I should point out, I actually spent quite a bit of time living in Kellyville. So uh, my three kids, who are now older teenagers, uh, all went to Kellyville Public. Uh, but I currently work for Reach Australia. Uh, and uh, we are a network of um, a ministry that we, we want to see thousands of healthy, evangelistic, multiplying churches. Uh, my role particularly is to do with resources. And so uh, one of the things I do is uh, host a couple of podcasts. So it's, it's a bit weird being on the other side of the microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we've got some, uh, some great podcasts. Um, the One Thing, uh, where we actually just launched our 300th episode. Wow. Um, and uh, the Reach Australia podcast, which if I can do a quick plug, uh, we have uh, a couple of weeks coming up of some excellent Bible talks from uh, Rory Shiner, mm. who uh, spoke at our national conference. And so uh, those talks will be up and they're definitely worth listening to. They were great. We were all at the Reach Australia conference and um, Rory did a fantastic job uh, opening God's word for us. And uh, if you go back further through the archives, you might hear Dave on one of those podcasts. Mm. Or two. Oh yeah, Dave pops up from time to time. Yeah, my, I'm, I'm around a little bit, but not, not, not a lot. Um, I think I have one or two in the one thing. I thought you had more than that, but uh, yeah, you can you can go to the resourcing. You can actually search for Dave, okay. and yeah, it'll there be you there. Go. Yeah, yeah, we'll find out how many are actually yeah. there. Yeah, the Reach Australia framework, the Reach Australia framework, eleven point one through eleven point five. You hosted a whole bunch of stuff on the YouTube channel. I did, and there was yeah, you, you, you were like a starring role. You were putting yourself yeah. down, going, "Oh, it's just one or two. It's like one or two major kind of things." Yeah, there, the, the framework is fairly significant. Yeah. But yeah. Um, the bar was set pretty high when I googled your name after we found out <laughs> you were coming here as the new. Rec- <laughs> but, oh, look out. Yeah. <laughs> and there's only downhill <laughs> after that. So, <laughs> no, it's great. So good. Well, Pete, it's so great to have you, mate. Um, and thank you for bringing us um, God's Word on Sunday. And so with that, um, what did we look at? What did we talk about? Uh, I tried to cover four chapters, uh, which was probably fairly ambitious, but we Sorry, mate. worked that. But uh, what I really wanted to do is look at those four chapters uh, through the eyes, particularly of Saul and Jonathan, and uh, how they were reacting to the, the emergence of a new Messiah, a new king, a new mm-hmm. leader who was coming through Israel. And uh, Saul, we saw, actually responded quite negatively and gone, I don't want this leader. I'm threatened by the leader, acts out of fear and anger, uh, tries to kill David on a number of occasions. Uh, Jonathan, on the other hand, uh, recognises that this is the great leader that we are looking for. And so um, makes a great alliance with him. Uh, uh, protects him. Uh, his own life is sometimes threatened because he follows uh, the Messiah. And I think that, that kind of sets us up really well for mm. how do we as, uh, as Christians follow our Messiah, the one 
Jesus, who is so much better than David. Um, so yeah, that was yeah. the point. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we um we had heaps of questions come in, and especially um, one particular sort of group of questions mm. was about um, an evil spirit uh, that was sent uh, by God. And so um, we're just going to summarize. There's about 14 along that same line, uh, which <laughs> it was yep. Nathan and I were sitting up the back watching the phone just come through, ping, 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 and we were just laughing. Going, yeah. This is awesome. Like We're just loving that um, people in our church are just engaging uh, with the scriptures and, and keen to find out more. And so um, the question is um, sort of from 1 Samuel 19, 9. And so was the spirit from God or from Satan? Was kind of the first one. Yeah, that's a great question. I, and I, I actually, I think it's worth actually coming back and, and looking at the whole, the fact that we have a spiritual realm mm. uh, that, that's there because we don't normally acknowledge that. Um, and I'd be interested to hear from you guys a little bit later on um, if you've had experiences where you've gone, oh, yeah, it's it's not necessarily a, a big spooky thing that we get fr- like in the horror films, mm. but we get, um, yeah, Satan just trying to distract us away from, um, uh, from the gospel. Uh, but, uh, yeah, is it from the, the Lord or is it from Satan? I think one of the things we've got to be careful of, there's not uh, what's called a dualism in the Bible. Uh, mm. That is to say, uh, God and Satan have equal power and they're fighting over the fate of the world, which makes for a great movie, but terrible theology. Um, <laughs> it's actually uh, God is in control. Mm. And uh, and you see this, say, for example, in the book of Job, he's in control and he allows Satan to do certain things. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and one of the most disappointing scenes I found in the Bible is right at the end, the final battle between God and Satan. And basically Jesus turns up and that's the battle. And it's like, well, where was the fight? And he goes, no, there's no fight. I'm, I'm the king and yeah. you guys just lose. That's it. And uh, one of the most disappointing scenes in the whole, you know, I expected this big climatic battle and nothing happens. Um, so um, God actually does use uh, Satan and spirits. And I think one of the things that he... Now, I, I think this is right. I'm interested to hear you guys if you want to dive in on this. Is that um, he will use spirits sometimes to, to show what our hearts are really like. And so we have a choice between following the truth of God or the lie that, uh, that spirits will give. And, and you see that clearly in, for example, Eve at the garden, uh, where um, she's given the choice of, do I obey God or do I listen to Satan? She chooses to listen to Satan. It shows that our hearts are inclined towards uh, disobedience and evil. Um, and so that, that's kind of that, uh, it, it's sort of opening up our hearts and putting, shining the light on it to show what our hearts are, are really like. Do you guys want to add anything that to, to that? I think it was interesting. I was reading 1 Samuel 16 in prepping for last week's sermon, but also as a crossover to that mm, question. Mm. And it's interesting, the distinction of uh, Saul loses the spirit of the Lord mm. and gets a spirit from the Lord. So loses the spirit of the Lord and gets yeah. a spirit from the Lord. So I think it is ultimately in God's sovereignty, everything is, is from God. Um, and that's it's a tricky thing in that um, he can use evil and yet stay perfectly morally pure. And I think that's going to be the tension that we're wrestling with, with a lot of these questions. And so God did send a spirit uh, and it is a spirit from the Lord. Um, but yeah, God has done nothing wrong. And yeah, and like I, I think you're right. He He's not, God isn't making Saul evil by sending this evil spirit. Saul is already a very evil, uh, corrupt bloke. Um, and so, yeah, the spirit is kind of just confirming uh, the trajectory that he's already on. Mm. And I think it's important we, uh, as, as, as you said, Pete, just dealing with the the idea of that spiritual realm that that sits there, 
uh, in the world around us. And we don't want to uh, overspeak, nor do we want to underspeak in terms of what the scriptures say. Uh, and so we don't want to craft together a picture that we think is there that's more driven by either our imagination or a movie or something like mm. that. Uh, but we also don't want to underspeak and think that there's nothing there to it. Mm. Uh, and I think both are errors uh, that you know, can easily fall into. Um, but you do want to wrestle with the words that are there in the scriptures uh, and what that looks like. And the fact so many questions came in on this particular verse uh, shows there's a there's a confrontational aspect to it where people go, on, oh, this is messing with my head a little bit and my theology uh, and trying to piece that together. And so how, how does that actually all come together? So I think it's just important we don't yeah, speak too much in something that we don't know, but we also go, actually, there is something there for us to, to wrestle with. Yeah, I, to go off on a tangent, if I can, for a moment, um, one of the, I, I read a number of books on sort of theology of family. One of the books I read was The Storm-Tossed Family. Mm. And uh, it was interesting, the opening chapter was sort of saying that we often think of our households and our family as this nice, safe haven. And uh, actually, he said, actually, Satan doesn't want family the way that God wants family. And so it's actually a spiritual battleground. Yeah. Now, that actually shaped, changed the way I actually addressed my family in that I went, I need to be praying far more for my family and also having a much more uh, spiritually disciplined uh, set of goals for my family. Uh, and so I think just acknowledging that that dimension is there is actually helpful. But you're right. You don't want to overplay it. Uh, not everything is, there's a spirit behind everything. Uh, like the, the sign outside, the, there was a sign outside a church that said, you know, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes that reason is you're stupid and you make dumb decisions, right? Yep. It's not yep. a spiritual thing. Sometimes like stuff it's, just happens. It's yeah. not a satanic attack when I can't find a car park at Kellyville Plaza. I, you know, I, I, <laughs> it feels it feels satanic sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Hot tip: go park near the recycling machine at the top of Woolies. I was about to say Castle Hill Towers. I feel like that's a different story. Different but story. I'm, not, I'm just going to leave that it's there. Not our, I catch the metro at peak times at Towers now. Yeah, that's right. not, it's so not our easy. it's not our parish. There's there's more spiritual stuff going oh, on. Oh, that's so. what it is. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I also want to put a little bit of plug in for um, what, what's Peter Bolt's book? Um, something in the underworld. Living with the Underworld. Let's go with that. Yep. Yep. Um, I think it's a, it's a book by Peter Bolt, mm. uh, and it's where he does address mm. a little bit of, sort of the angel demons theology, yeah. um, and uh, uh, it's it, I think it's helpful if you want to sort of dive in a little bit yeah. uh, deeper on this question of, of spirits and evil spirits and where they sit. Yeah. And we'll plug that in the show notes for you. Uh, Living with the Underworld by Peter G. Bolt. And before we get back to one segment, I also want to highlight the fact that we do see a lot of spiritual activity, particularly when Jesus is is doing his earthly ministry. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a, a part of a, a particular period of history. And so it's very hard. We, we don't want to expand just from uh, that happens there. Therefore, it should happen everywhere. <coughs> so, um, uh, yeah, we've got to be careful that we don't read all experience through the Gospels. That, that, that's a particular thing where we're, we're actually really seeing Jesus' great rule over all things, whether physical or uh, invisible, it's all there. So, yep. Awesome. Well, um, we kind of answered this. The second one that we were going to look at was how can a holy God send an evil spirit? Why would he do this? But I think we've covered that now. But we'll mm. come to the next question, which is how can we reconcile this being the evil spirit being sent from God with James 1.13? So I'll just read that for us. 
So it says here, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. The floor's I, open. Are there everyone's all the everyone's fingers, throwing it, <laughs> all the fingers are pointing at um, uh, it's I I've always understood this. There's a difference between tempting and testing. Uh, and while, while they're, I think they're the same word in, in the original, um, I, God does test our faith, you know, yep. uh, and, uh, you know, he talks about the discipline that we give as well, uh, and what that looks like, you know, and God tested people in the wilderness. Uh, and so I, th- I think for me that there's, you know, uh, there's no, um, uh, difference between James one thirteen and uh, one Samuel nineteen nine in terms of the you know the same guy who sits behind it all, uh, and uh, yeah. So I, when it comes to no one should say God is tempting me for good God you know and nor does he tempt anyone. I think it's true. Mm. He doesn't. Yeah, and I, I think with Saul the situation is he has a choice. Like he can either mm. not pick up the spear or pick up the spear, and it's uh, and he's choosing not to. When he talks to um, when Jonathan intercedes for him and sort of says, you know, why are you doing this? Guys, he's actually on your side. You, you saw him defeat the Philistines and you were glad about it. So he's choosing not to at that point of time. Uh, and yet I think I, I, it's hard to say. I mean, uh, Nathan, and I talked a little bit about this. That, you know, what is that evil spirit? Is it, um, uh, is it a spirit of um, oppression or is it a spirit of, you know, a, an evil spirit there whispering in his ear going, actually, he's out to get you. Mm. And, uh, and he's starting to listen to the lie. Because um, the, foot, the footnote in, in mine is a harmful spirit. Mm. Um, yep. And so I don't know, I haven't done the work in terms of what the actual word there is, uh, yeah. you know, or, or where that sort of appears in other places and stuff like that. Yeah, and the commentators I read said it could also be translated spirit of misery. So mm. it's kind of like a saddening, harmful spirit. I think we're kind of taking it as it's an evil spirit which makes him evil and he wouldn't have otherwise acted poorly, but this evil spirit possesses him where I think it's more of a spirit of misery that's... Sure. That's, that's taking. It's not, yeah, I don't think it's taking control of him. Mm-hmm. It's just. Yeah, it's kind of sent to. Yeah, and again, there's, yeah. A, there's a chance to, to do morally the right thing yeah, in each yeah. of those circumstances, and you can be talked out of doing the wrong thing. So, yeah, mm. yeah I don't think we want to use it as an excuse to absolve uh, Saul of all responsibility for his awful choices. No, and, and actually, again, going on a slight tangent there, it's interesting. You, you highlighted before how uh, the spirit of God had been taken away from Saul as he um, was. Uh, you know, he, he rejected God's ways and God rejected him as the king. And you, you kind of see that theme all the way through it. The one thing that we didn't actually really touch on was his, he has another episode with the prophets, which he had when he first became mm. uh, a king. And uh, this one actually ends very differently and shows that he's, you know, he's been humbled, if anything, uh, humiliated. Mm. Uh, but um, yeah, there, there is, again, but he is still... I think in control the whole time. So mm. his agency isn't taken away. Um, there is, but there is still a spiritual thing going on there that he can either choose to accept or reject. Mm. Awesome. Well, you did a really good job answering the next question, which was: If the evil spirit is from God, to what extent can Saul be held accountable for his actions? Was he simply acting in accordance with God's plan? So. It kind of dives into that a little bit. So the next one that we have out of that uh, is, can God cause people to become evil? Is that what's happening here? And does it happen anywhere else in Scripture? If so, why? Well, there, there is a point where, um, 
um, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. So there is a, a place where we see God actually uh, getting involved there. But again, I, I also want to say Pharaoh's heart was already hardened. And, uh, and so it's not necessarily taking away uh, Pharaoh's agency there. Um, but it is also God is God and he is acting as a sovereign God and can do these things and, uh, and he's doing these things to bring about his plans and his purposes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's a, part of it is just understanding our own theology of sin, isn't it? Mm. Like we, we are inherently uh, sinful people. Uh, and so uh, it feels like a little bit behind the assumption of the question is that we're all good mm. and that God diverts our our path to towards evil uh whereas i think we want to go the other way uh which i think is where the scriptures go mm. and say we we are originally sinful from birth uh and therefore we are evil um you know we, we'll come to the part i think it's is it in the sermon on the mount that i've written it this week where you know your good father knows how to good give good things uh, and you do too, even though you are evil. Mm. Um, like it's 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 confronting um, uh, to wrestle with that. So um, we we are our own evil people because we are are sinful. Um, and so uh, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that's what's happening here. That God's sort of directing that you know Saul's path to towards. Oh, now he's going to be evil. Yeah. He, he already was. And mm. it's the same point you were making, Pete. Like mm. you know. It's worth noting, yeah, that he fails and sins uh, in chapter 9 and 10 before he has the Spirit of the Lord. He sins whilst he has the Spirit of the Lord. And he wants to kill Jonathan in chapter 14. And his men have to talk him out of it because Jonathan ate honey because mm. Saul made a stupid oath. And so, yeah. yeah, he was corrupt before he had the Spirit of the Lord, uh, corrupt whilst he had the Spirit of the Lord. And now he's corrupt with this other spirit that's come on him. So, yeah, I don't think we can say that God is the cause of Saul's problems. Okay. So we've looked at the evil spirit from God. We've now just unpacked sort of the evil spirit and human responsibility. And so it leads us to um, next set of questions that came in about Jonathan and David um, and kind of the relationship between the two. And so there's a bunch of things that I'll quickly read through here. And if Pete, you wanted to speak into it, um, had some great answers on Sunday with this. But um, the question here is, can you comment more on the covenant between Jonathan and David, uh, not only in this chapter, but as we hear in chapter 18? You know, why would he do this? What motivation would he have? What would this covenant look like? Um, was it something formalized, a verbal agreement? Um, you know, like, do you think that this would have been a publicly known thing between um, uh, outside of Jonathan and David? Um, and anything else you'd like to comment on here on this particular relationship between these two people? I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say about this because uh, you, you probably know the book a little bit better than I do. But, um, I, I mean, one of the questions I wanted to ask was why, why, does, why does Jonathan do this? And I'm not sure, although you guys could probably point this out if I'm wrong, I'm not sure that the text actually tells us why he does this, but I'm wondering whether it's because um, uh, the, the, the whole of 1 and 2 Samuel is about what, what do you look for in a leader? If you... If you you know, right at the start where um, the people come to Samuel and say, oh, uh, we want a king like all the other nations. Um, and he goes, that's a really dumb idea. But if that's what you want, what, what do you look for in a leader? And I'm wondering whether uh, Jonathan actually sees it in David. He goes, that's, that's it. That's what we're looking for. That's the guy. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Do you guys want to add anything in that one? Yeah. 
Yeah, it is really interesting. I think chapter 18, which we kind of skipped because yep. we kind of did David and Goliath the week before and then skipped mm-hmm. to 19. Um, but the the theme for the rest of this book is the decline of Saul and the rise of David. And so they're really trying to emphasize like Saul's completely losing everything, mm-hmm. uh, including his own family. And so mm-hmm. in chapter 18, Jonathan is more loyal to David than mm-hmm. Saul. So he's even the people closest to him are siding with David. Um, the women sing songs about Saul slaying his thousands and David slaying his ten thousands. Everyone in Israel loves David. And so you see Saul's kind of falling to pieces. Like, I'm not, I'm not loved. So he's lost his son. Then in, in chapter 19, uh, Michal, his yeah. daughter, marries David and then chooses David over Saul as well. And so yeah. kind of like, kind of emphasizing Saul has lost everyone. Yeah. And so even, even uh, Saul's own family prefers David than, yeah. and, than Saul. So there's, there's that part of it. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think there's a symbolic, probably in chapter 18, Saul gives him, I mean, sorry, Jonathan gives David, I think, a weapon and his robe, mm. which people have taken as kind of, that's symbolizing, I'm giving you the kingship. Yep. I'm giving you, I'm handing over, yeah. I'm the prince yep. and I'm the next king, but I'm giving my stuff over to you. Like, mm. like I can see that you're the next in line. And so mm. there's a perceptiveness and a wisdom to uh, to Jonathan that unfortunately his father didn't have. Mm. And I, I, I was always wrestling with it in terms of just... Jonathan's such a good guy and he's the natural heir to the throne. Like why yeah. not just let the line continue and pass the kingship on to Jonathan? Like he's just, he looked to be a, as good a king as David. I was going to say, it's a really interesting yeah. hypothetical. What yeah. kind of a king would Jonathan have made? Yeah. Because the irony is that the reason that he, you can see he would make a great king because he recognizes what God is doing. Mm. And therefore he recognizes that someone else is actually the right king which I think would make him a great king. Yes. That's the irony, but he doesn't actually ever yeah. get to sit on yeah. the throne. So, yeah. yeah. One of the interesting connections I saw whilst prepping is um, between Jonathan and another John, John the Baptist. Mm. Uh, and mm. sort of he sees the Messiah and, and John the Baptist in John 3, verse th- uh, chapter 3, verse 30 says, he must become greater, I must become less. And yeah. really interesting, Jonathan looks at David and again, Jonathan's the next in line. He's the natural heir. Yeah. And he looks at David and he goes, no, David must become greater. Yep. And I need to become less. Here's all my princely yeah. gear. You're yeah. the next in line. So there is a really interesting connection that God's Messiah kind of greeted by this John Jonathan figure and mm. and he steps into the background in favor of the king. Now, my understanding is that the covenant probably wasn't public. Uh, it was just a something between the mm. two of them. But do you guys know anything else that I'm missing there? No, I think it's just, yeah, the covenant they make in 1920. Yeah. And then David does honor um, in Ch- and one, 2 Samuel, we meet Mephibosheth, yeah. who's a cripple and a rela- relative of Jonathan, I think the only surviving relative of okay. Jonathan, That's and right. David takes really good care of him. So yeah. the, the, David yeah. does keep his part of the bargain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And again, it would have been a very interesting thing to find out whether if, if Saul actually had have heard about that. I mean, that just would have been mm. petrol on a really already big fire and it just would have been a disaster. But... Uh, yeah, again, I think one of the interesting things about this whole book is that we're getting history, right? Mm. So it's not necessarily nice and neat and, you know, uh, I think um, one of the questions, I, I don't think it uh, made it, but uh, was uh, some of the moral decisions that some people made, like Mikhail, uh lies to her father, mm-hmm. uh, David actually fakes being mad. I mean, th- these are things that just happen. They, that's, that's part of the account, so, yeah. Yeah, and David seems to lie to Ahimelech when he wants yeah, the bread and right. the sword. And yeah. so you see that in chapter 22 yeah. where David says, his death is on me because yep. he kind yeah, of lied yeah. to him, like tricked him into helping him. And then That's Saul right. came and killed Himelech for, for helping David. And yeah. so David at the end of 22 is gone, oh no. Like yeah. Yeah, when the servant comes, he said, yeah, you, you stay with me because the death of Himelech yep. is That's on is, me. It's on me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, it, it, it really highlights for me that um, Jesus is like David 
but uh, not the same, mm. right? Because Jesus doesn't lie. He doesn't do these things. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, moving on, um, the title here says The Tragedy of Saul and the Promised Messiah, the movie. Uh, so we had a um, question come in and um, I think it's a really, really great question. So I'm going to read it out. And then, um, Pete, I think this is right up your alley. So uh, the question was, I was struck last week and this week by the similarities between King Saul and Shakespeare's Macbeth. There are classic tragic qualities in their characters and their responses to events that unfold. Uh, there are also so many features of political regimes through history and today where rulers become more and more obsessed with shoring up their power, delaying promised handovers or elections and removing threats. How do you think a movie could be made about Saul, David and Jonathan, but which would also really focus on Jesus as God's promised Messiah? Does that difficulty in looking forward and keeping that in mind reflect on our own difficulty and looking beyond our own present as well? I don't know who gave that question. I love that question. There's so much in that. And uh, let it's me try nice and when you, It's nice when your wife writes the questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she didn't quite spell a few. Yeah, no, no but uh, yeah, I, I actually, I've never, I've never studied Macbeth. So I actually had to get my daughter who has studied Macbeth to give me a quick kind of, uh, tell me about the whole play uh, last night. But um, just as a side point, it is interesting. Shakespeare, uh, we know so little about Shakespeare. Um, and a lot of his themes actually do come from biblical things. So I actually wonder... Uh, how much Shakespeare um, uh, shaped Macbeth around some of these stories, uh, particularly in 1 Samuel, and uh, we just don't know. We Apparently, we don't even know what he looks like. Like, there's that picture of him, uh, but uh, uh, that was done a couple of years after his death, and uh, people tell me that's just a PR thing, so I don't... Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Uh, but let me, uh, let me come back to the, um, the features of political regimes. Um, it is interesting that power, uh, that, you know, the, the thing that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, power actually does, again, uh, it's a catalyst for our hearts in that the more power we're given, the more it shows what's truly in our hearts. And I think this is one of those moments where we really need to stop and look at the wisdom of Jesus, that he is not just uh, powerful, although he is, uh, but he is also incredibly wise. Now, I think I, I made a throwaway comment. Uh, I may have, I can't remember. Uh, but I think one of the bigger, the big issues that we have as Christians who live in the Western world, most of the problems I think we have is because our God is too small. So we don't, for example, we don't think God is really holy. And so we don't really take sin seriously. Um, we don't think God is really in charge. And so we don't, we don't really pray. Um, and we don't think God is really wise. We don't think Jesus is really wise. So we don't actually take his advice seriously. Um, but when he is given all power and all authority, um, he, he uses it wisely. He doesn't use it uh, like the way most of us would. And, um, and so when I say you need to hand your, your control of your life over to Jesus, for a lot of people, that should be a red flag going, oh, I've done that and that's caused abuse. And you're going, yeah, because the person you gave it to was unloving and unwise. Um, but you need to do that because the one you're handing it over to is loving and he is wise. In fact, he's more loving and he is more wise than you are, which is why you need to give his li your life to him because he will actually do a better job with it than you can. Uh, and so it's, it's really important that we, we see the importance of wisdom and love when people are given power. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the Bible um, is uh, 
Uh, It's in John 13. And right at the start, um, you actually see uh, Jesus is realizing that all power and authority has been given uh, to him and he's about to be given. And then the next word um, is the word so. And so you go, well, if you were, if you realize that you were about to uh, have all authority in the universe, you were literally going to become the center of the universe, what would you do with it? And he goes, so he picks up a towel and go and washes his disciples' feet because he knows I've got power, but he has the love and the wisdom to know how to use that well. So, so there's a... I, I, did you want to jump in there? Yeah, I was just going to say uh, it's... Um uh, it's the constant battle of who we give uh, control of our lives to. Um, and the temptation is in all different ways, but not to Jesus. Like the, yeah. the original temptation is to myself. Yep. You know, um, I want to take control of my life. Mm-hmm. And then we start to realize I'm a really poor God. Um, like I'm actually not in control and things happen around me that I have no control uh, over. Um, and then you start trying to give it to other things, you know, or other sort of things out. And you start to realize they're really terrible, terrible things to put in control of your life because they disappoint. They don't satisfy. They leave me wanting more, even though I may get, you know, exactly what I want. Uh, and over and over again, um, I just think it's, re- I just think it's so true. Like it just rings, well, rings true for me uh, that, you know, but then you give it to Jesus and, you know, it's not, it's not like it's, an instantaneous, oh, there it is. Uh, but it, it is very much a gradual, continually coming back and going, yeah, look, I'm a slow learner. <laughs> I've, I've tried to control over there again and it hasn't worked. I'm really sorry. Uh, you're the, you're the center of my life. You're the king of my life. Um, uh, and, you know, head, head back in that direction. And as I mentioned on Sunday, I think, you know, we do have a tendency to move towards a split personality at this point in time, whereas some parts we go, Jesus, I'm really happy for you to take control of that. Mm-hmm. And then there are just other parts yep. of our lives where we go, no, 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 I'll take control of that. Yep. And I actually saw on, if you Google this, um, the difference between a, a geocentric um, uh, solar system and a heliocentric solar system. So uh, Aristotle, for example, came up with this idea that the earth is the center of the world and everything kind of revolves around it. And then Copernicus came along and said, actually, ah, it doesn't make sense. It's mm. the sun. And I, I watched this animation of it and you, you see the, the one where we're at the center and the whole solar system's a mess. And yes. I'm going, that's, that's my life. Every time I try to <laughs> put myself at the center, my life looks like that. And then you see this heliocentric one where the right gravitational force is in the middle and everything revolves around it, and it's just all so nice and neat. And I know that's just, it's an illustration, mm. but mm. It, it illustrates what happens in my life. So, yeah. 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 It, it is interesting that um, I think the uniqueness of Jesus, because even the great David does fall once he gets power. He does. And he, and he gets silly and gets relaxed and, yeah. and, and, and then falls. Yeah. So, but you do see other positive examples of people with power in Scripture using it well, like Joseph yeah. and Daniel. And So yeah. it can be done, but it, it, can is, be done. It, is, it is a good warning that yeah. uh, power, wealth, all those things... They're good things, but they are risky, especially because you can you can make them God. Very easy to make power God, wealth oh, God, absolutely. comfort God. Yeah, they feel good. Yep. Yeah, Philippians too is you know just that classic Jesus giving away of his power. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, emptying of himself of, of all things, you know, for the sake of someone else, uh, which is you know the same thing he's doing in John thirteen, uh, you know, in, in the washing of feet, um, and uh, it's just a, such a beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know, sorry, I don't know, we'll move on, but the, there was that question about can you make a movie like this? Actually, 
someone recently did make a movie. It was about the life of Abraham. And I think they did a beautiful job of uh, looking at the life of Abraham, particularly at that moment of the sacrifice of Isaac, and then relating it so beautifully and clearly to Jesus. Um, so it's his one and only son. I actually saw it in Castle Hill uh, Towers at the event cinemas. So it was in the cinemas, uh, but you should be able to find uh, it online somewhere. So he's one and only son. If you want an example of how to do that, I think they did a great job. Awesome. All right, we're going to change gears a little bit. Um, we're going to be talking about mental health. And mm. So we had a couple of uh, questions come in on that. And so uh, the question reads, the unravelling of Saul looks a, lot li- uh, looks a lot like what we would have diagnosed as a mental illness if we didn't know from the text it was an evil spirit from the Lord. And so does God still use evil spirits to accomplish his plan today, what we misidentify as a mental illness? If so, how do we know the difference and should that affect our response to that person? Okay, uh, let, let me just preempt this by saying uh, a little bit about myself at this point of time. So I, um, I, I actually have, I've studied theology, so I'm going to be talking about this from a theological perspective, but I also actually have a degree in psychology. Um, uh, and uh, not only do I have a degree in psychology, I have had uh, issues with my own mental health. So I was diagnosed with bipolar one. Uh, when I was uh, 19, uh, which was 120 years ago, I can't remember. And uh, so I, I, I know uh, both in terms of experience and in terms of study um, a little bit about this area. Uh, I, I want to say that mental illness, uh, if you were to go to a psychologist, what they will tell you is that there are, are two sources of mental illness. Uh, one is internal, um, and so it'll be uh, chemical imbalances in your brain, uh, which is a little bit what I have. Um, and the other is external. And so it may be there's some sort of trauma, uh, there's uh, something that has happened to you that has caused that illness. I want to do a slightly different approach to that. So theologically, I want to say there's actually four kind of sources of uh, mental illness. Um, Sometimes, and I want to be really, really clear, sometimes, and I'll come back to this, sometimes it is actually us. There are things that we have done uh, that is causing uh, mental illness. And often that's got to do with Uh, taking some illicit drugs that have rebalanced what's happening in our brains. Um, A a lot more, um, it can be because of a trauma, so something that someone has done to us, uh, and uh, it is the uh, effects of abuse. And uh, at this point in time, I also, I want to just say that the gospel is actually helping us to understand forgiveness and how that is an important part of the healing process. Now, again, I, I sometimes hear people say, oh, forgiveness. I mean, we should forgive like Jesus forgave and we should just forgive freely like Jesus forgave and go, whoa, you didn't understand the cross. That, is, that was not easy. I mean, we get it freely, but it's not easy. And so if you're thinking of forgiving someone and finding it difficult, mm. then you've understood the weight of forgiveness mm. and what the gospel has done for us. There's a lot more to say about that, but I'll leave that to one side. Uh, the third place is that, yeah, it can be external kind of things. It can be uh, it's just the world that's broken and sometimes things just don't work and that's just the way it is. So, again, for me, uh, I inherited a brain that's not 100% working the way it should. Um, for other people, it might be I'm um, dealing with the trauma of an ongoing chronic illness. It could be uh, some other thing that has happened. So there's that. And there is 
Fourthly, there is a spiritual kind of dimension, and that is Satan can actually get into our heads and uh, he can lie to us. And he has a number of different powers, but I think the power of his lying is probably his most powerful. And it's certainly the one that I think he uses most in the Western world. Mm. Now, the problem is, of those four things, they all... Um, they're not just one single thing. Often they all interact quite a lot. So, for example, uh, let's just talk about, uh, this is a hypothetical person, so I'm sorry if your name is Bob, but let's just say there's a hypothetical guy called Bob. Um, Bob um, loses his job because uh, someone puts the wrong thing in the wrong Excel sheet and they've got to get rid of somebody. And so it's really, it's not Bob's fault, it's actually somebody else. They've done the wrong thing and Bob gets retrenched. Now, that's that second kind of thing. Um, now, as it turns out, um, Bob has a predisposition to depression, and so this spirals him into a depression that he's inherited from his family, uh, and so that's that third area. Uh, but as he watches his wife and his kids go to work uh, and school, and he's left alone at home, he just wants something that will help him just to feel a bit more normal and to soothe that, that pain that he's currently feeling, and so he turns to pornography, uh, which gives him a moment of, um, uh, of, of soothingness, but uh, then there's a whole bunch of shame that comes with that, and so he makes him feel worse. And so that's that first one. So they often all interact together, and, and then you put Satan in the mix going, well, I can leverage all of that. That'll work really well. You know, I can say things like, uh, Bob, you, you obviously don't feel very joyful. You're not really a Christian. You know, that's for other people. That's not for you. And so that's where I think um, Satan can get involved in the whole thing of mental illness. And that, that's particularly with depression as a, as a case study. Um, so I don't think uh, we can, um, can say that Satan um, possesses people. Uh, well, I, I think we can sometimes confuse um, schizophrenia as, um, as uh, um, evil, evil spirit uh, possession. Um, I think we've got to make sure we're actually looking at this from a medical kind of thing. But at the same time, we've got to be aware that there is actually a spiritual thing going on. And, um, and it's not a case of one or the other. Satan often steps in and leverages some of those things. Now, um, I, I want to speak a little bit about how uh, I've responded to that. But I don't know. Do you guys want to jump in at this point in time? Oh, no. I was just going to just to, to clarify with you. Um, so the, the, what you're saying is between all those sort of... Uh, um, places of cause, yeah. the lines are really blurred. They That's blur exactly into right. one another and yep. sort of bleed into another, like yeah. instead of you know, like mixing the paint. You know, you've got your yep. four colours and you sort of just bring them all together. Yep. And for you, it feels like, you know, um, just a mishmash of paint. Like it's not, he's just the white paint. You know? is, that, is that sort of what you're saying? I, I am, but I'm also sort of saying there are some things that we actually need to identify along there. So for Bob, we've kind of got to go uh, to Bob, listen, mate, um, I, I know, and, and I say this as someone who suffers, I, I get how that soothingness feels. I, I get that moment of normality and what that feels like. But I need you to understand, Bob, that sin is sin. And uh, even though you have that moment where you feel soothed, sin's agenda is to enslave you and to kill you. And so what you're actually doing, even though you think you're drinking something that is that is beautiful and that you're you're enjoying you're actually drinking poison and it's just going to make your life worse and worse so you've great, got to be there's a great article one time i can't remember it was written by tim challies or something mm. uh it's called sin wants to be your friend yeah 
and it actually he 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 promises to be the best friend in the world. Yeah. Um, but you know, every time he hugs you, you know, there's a little bit of a a dagger coming mm. uh, with mm. it. And, yeah. and I I know I've, I found that a really helpful uh, sort of understanding because there are times right where sin feels good. Mm. Um, you know, you, you don't hate it. No. Like like I hate Brussels sprouts. I don't eat them. Um, there's a part of sin where you love it and, you know, you don't hate it. Like, you know, the sins you hate are easy to get rid of, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's the... I mean, nobody sins because they go, oh, I hate doing this. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. They go, oh, I, I, there's there's something about sin that's that's enjoyable yes. that you go, yes. yeah, I want to do that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Uh, I, I do want to actually say, though, that the gospel has a lot to say about all of that. So as I've said, if, you, if we look at the truth, we see that the gospel tells us what sin truly is. Um, but I also want to say that um, the talking about I, I, I'm not a big fan of talking about mental health because there's a whole bunch of stigma that goes with it. And uh, but I think it's important for us to do so because um, it reminds us that um, the gospel is about people who have failed and who are broken. Right. And so we we will say that from the front uh, at churches all the time. We go, yep, the gospel. You need Jesus. You, there's no way you can do it yourself. You need Jesus. But every so often what we do is what we do actually denies that. And, and what we, what we, the way I've been, as I've been a pastor in the past, this is how it sort of played out, is we play the I'm okay, you're okay game, where I stand up the front, I see a bunch of Christians go, man, these guys have got their lives together. I've got to pretend to have my life together. So I kind of pretend. And then that means that everyone who's I'm looking after goes, oh man, is that the standard? I'm going to have to pretend to get my life together. And so we play this ongoing game. And so anyone who walks in who isn't the slightest bit broken goes, I don't fit here because these guys have all got their lives together. Whereas in reality, all of us are broken. All of us have failing. All of us have sin that we need to get rid of. And, um, and so our culture actually denies what we're saying. And, um, and so this is an opportunity for us to go, actually, let's, let's stop and be honest and go, we, we, we need to address this. Uh, and as a culture, we need to stop playing the I'm okay, you're okay game and go, if we're in this church on Sunday, it's because we need Jesus and we need to all acknowledge we need Jesus. And even if the person sitting next to me looks like they've got their life together, they just look like it. Uh, they need Jesus too. Um, so yeah, that, that's part of it. Part of it is that we also need to remember we're saved by faith and not by our feelings. Um, and uh, again, for those of us who are dealing with anxiety or depression, uh, our feelings will kind of dominate things. But we go, in all of that, um, Jesus still loves us. Mm. Uh, Jesus is, my salvation is safe because it's in Jesus. It's not in how I feel. Uh, it's right that we're joyful, but sometimes we just can't be joyful. And that's okay. Yeah. That's that's not why our salvation is based on. So, yep. yeah. And I, I think it's a it's a really helpful thing for us to, to keep raising it. And we've done it a few times on the podcast. Um, probably less so from the front, uh, which uh, you know, we, we we need to keep having this conversation. Um, because I think, you know, the I'm okay, you're okay culture uh is very um uh, very prominent. Uh and you know, you, you walk through the hills, um, the hills of Kellyville, and um, uh, you know, you know, and it f there's there's so many good things. You know, yeah. we're, we're blessed with so much, and it's so good. And uh, but I think even as a church, you know, if we want to just speak honestly about our own church here, 
um, we we need to keep having this conversation and keep raising and keep helping people understand what it looks like and how it interacts with their faith. Uh, and I think keeping coming back to the promises uh, in the gospel that we can rest, um, you know, solidly on, I think is just, is is part is also part of the conversation that we need to keep having. Yeah, I think that vulnerability from the front is really helpful because I do think people who one whose lives have gotten messy, not not mental health, but life's mm. gotten messy. They've had oh, yeah. divorce. They've had something go on. They yeah. go, oh no, yeah, I don't belong here. Yep. It's too hard. Uh, and then mental health, like I don't feel happy all put yep. together. And Christians are happy put together people, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, so that, that yeah. quote from Keller, uh, where he sort of says, you know, it's not a club for people who've got it all together. Like no. Christianity is a hospital. Yeah. For, for the brokenhearted and sick souls, and yeah, yeah. You, you belong here. Yeah. You know? And I think that's, and it's really important because culture, like people will actually uh, walk away from um, the culture more than what is being set up the front. Mm. That will have more of an impact. And so, and this is not something, and I, I'm saying this as, as a visitor, so to speak, to your church, this is not something you can leave to the leadership. This is actually something that the whole church needs to work together on. And uh, and so you can't sit there and wait for, you know, Dave and the other guys to kind of go, oh, well, this is what we're going to do. It's actually... We, we need to live out the gospel and uh, live that out all the time, especially mm. on a Sunday as we gather together. Awesome. Thanks, Pete. Well, we're up to our very last question. Uh, and the question is uh, for you. Um, how did your faith stay strong during your mental lows? And what would you suggest for people going through something similar? And also just a side note, thank you so much for sharing your story. It made me feel more comfortable in my skin, my diagnosis, and it really encouraged me. So thank you. Uh, look, I'm really glad it's, it's, I don't know who wrote that, but, um, I'm really glad it's helped somebody. Uh, like I said, I don't really like talking about it from the front cause you get all the stigma and I've actually, I mean, I've even gone for ministry jobs that people have gone, now you've got a mental health issue. We're not even going to interview you for the job. So there is a stigma around. Um, and, uh, and, and I think part of, so a couple of things that I've found particularly helpful is being aware of things. So I, I, I'm not on any medication. I found medication doesn't really work for me, uh, but habits do. So um, I will read the Bible, no matter how low I am, uh, every day. And I may open it and go read the words and nothing goes in because there's a, um, with depression, there's a certain amount of uh, cognitive distortion, which means you just can't focus. You just let the mind fog. It's just horrible. Um, but I do it so that um, I can say, I did one thing today. So as I'm going through the day, I went, I did one thing. I opened my Bible. I read it. Um, uh, I'd like to say I pray every day. I don't. Um, and through some of the really darker times, I just go, God, sorry, can't pray today. And I rest in the fact that um, Jesus' death on the cross for me is enough for me to, that salvation is there because of what Jesus has done. I think the other thing that's really big for me is uh, the way I talk about mental health is that I don't say um, uh, I'm depressed. I say I have depression. You might go, well, that's a bit, you know, uh, pedantic. But actually the difference is uh, one day Jesus will come back and I get to go home and I leave my depression here and I go home and that's who I really am. And, um, and so it's not me. I just have it at the moment. Um, uh, Winston Churchill used to describe it as walking his black dog. He had the black dog that would come and join him for a walk from time to time. The black dog stays here. I go home and that's who I really am. And so I remember that 
one day this will go away, which is really important for me because I know that every time I go through a, uh, a depressive bout, I get out of it. But the worst part is I know I'm going to do this again. I, I, don't, I don't lose it. I pray that God will take it away. He hasn't. Um, it's certainly been, it's not, it has been helpful in some ways. We, I have a, one of my other kids has a different mental health issue and I was talking to her about it and she said, oh, it, it means that I think in a different way. And this has certainly made me a lot more emotionally resilient. So we've been through some really hard times um, in ministry and I, um, I've come through it pretty okay. Whereas uh, people around me have gone, this is, I've got to get some counseling. I'm going through, this is really hard. I've got to get some healing. Uh, whereas I think, to, I don't know how to put it. Uh, nicely, but to put it bluntly, is I kind of go, yeah, that was pretty bad. But compared to what I normally go through, a bit of a walk in the park, actually. Not to downplay other people's feelings, uh, but it's just meant that I'm a bit more resilient. Um, so there is that as well. Um, and uh, yeah, for my daughter, she kind of goes, oh, I just think in a different way, which means I contribute in the class in a different way. I'd rather not have it, but that's just the way it is. So God has made us all different. And we've got to enjoy the way that God has made us. And sometimes they are things that we don't really like and uh, we will leave them behind one day and praise Jesus for that. Mm. I, th I think that's um, that's a really uh, helpful way, Pete. I think just that phrasing of what gets left behind here and uh, that who my identity is uh, and when that becomes a reality um, of, you know, when Jesus returns and that hope of heaven um, yeah, I think that's just a really, I don't know, it's, it, I was just, it's a very helpful way of thinking about it. And I, I'm sure, I'm sure people across um, uh, Kelly who listen will, will find that um, an encouragement and a help. Yeah, thanks, Pete. We really appreciate you sharing uh, with us. And I'm sure many people that are listening to this podcast uh, will appreciate that as well. Well, that brings us to the end of all our questions, uh, but it doesn't bring us to the end of the podcast just yet. Uh, we're continuing on in 1 Samuel this Sunday, and Dave is back in up the front, opening God's Word. What are we looking at, bro? Yeah, uh, so we, we, we get uh, a couple of examples where uh, David has the opportunity uh, to end the story quickly. Uh, Saul is given into his hands and like, it could just all be over. Uh, the, the solution is right in front of him. And turn up on Sunday, see what he does. Sounds it's a, good. Yeah. I think it's, it's going yeah, to be helpful. Um, Very good. Yeah. Well, last week we had a, uh, a special code word for a free book. We had one person uh, tell us what it was. So good <laughs> on to you for coming to us. Now, we have another giveaway for this week. Uh, Pete, you've got a book that you're going to share with us. Uh, I'm happy to give away uh, it's a new book that's just come out called Unmissable Church. Uh, Richard Sweatman and Anthony Barakloff have uh, brought this out with uh, Matthias Media. And if you watch our podcast, we interview them a bit more about this. But um, why is church important? Why is it important that we not just come to church, but come to church regularly? Uh, and in fact, there are um, a lot of uh, statistics that will say the more regularly you come to church, the better you'll be walking with Jesus. Uh, and I'm happy to give a copy of that away to anyone with the code word. Which is? Church. Church, all right. So the first that, person... That might be hard. If someone just comes up and just goes, oh, welcome to church, does that no, count? No, no, no. It's just got to be single word, church. Just church. church. And you've got to take it to Nathan. Nathan Boy, is the code Nathan. word guy. So Almost. you go up to him and just go, church, bro. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I'll nod awesome. and walk away and bring back. Well, I won't bring back the book because I need to contact Pete. But no, well, I'll, 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 I'll make sure I drop it in. Oh, we'll okay. get it. We'll right. get it I'll walk away, bring you a book. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Sounds good. Well, thank you, everyone. Another week of set on Sunday. Um, thanks again, and we'll see you on Sunday. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love you to join us at Kellyville Anglican any Sunday at 8.30, 10.30 or 6.15pm. If you can't visit us in person, you can also join us online. You can find out more information at www.ka.church. So come join us and see for yourself what is set on Sunday.